invite you to take your copy of the scriptures here this morning and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Remember the, the, the guy O.J. Simpson? I was just a wee lad when that guy was playing football. Uh, elementary school, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and it's funny how that guy showed up at various stages of my life, you know, including a trial. And who doesn't remember that? The, the slow speed chase, you know, driving that, what was it, a Ford Bronco. We all remember this stuff. It was so pervasive in our community all over the world, really. People just stunned. What has happened to this guy? You know? But let's face it. We all knew he was guilty from the beginning, didn't we? I mean, the guy had already been arrested for hitting his wife. Violence was a part of his life, and he didn't know how to control it. Hmm. I'll tell you what, my friends, though, as we... We study the book of Romans here, and we're going to kind of look at it in a kind of a sped-up fashion so that we can really grasp the message of this book. The key word that we will discover in the book of Romans is righteousness. Righteousness. We're going to learn a lot about that in the weeks to come. But it doesn't take long, my friends, to even look around and to look within especially and know that we're guilty. It doesn't take long to figure out we are not the people that we hoped we would be, that we know we ought to be. We don't practice what we believe is true. Not the way we ought to. We're not engaged in our life as followers of Christ as we ought. It's not hard, my friends, to look at our youth, our teen and 20 years, every stage of life to know we ain't the people God has called us to be. What we're going to find here in the book of Romans is that it, it's, it's somewhat like a court scene. And we're going to see here this morning some charges brought against all of humanity. All of humanity. But what we're going to see here in the verse, verse 17 is uh, uh, this is a letter after all. You know, this, this pre-trial introduction, we might even call it. The way Paul opens all of his letters. First and foremost, he talks about himself. You know, that makes sense. If you're reading a letter, you want to know who it's from. You don't want to read it and try and guess till you get to the bottom. Oh, it's from Paul. Who'd have thought, you know? And so Paul introduces himself talking about his call to ministry. One might even call this his credentials. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And he talks about the content of his ministry concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. Talking about the Lord Jesus' humanity. But here in verse 4, we see he talks about his deity and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness 
by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. One person, two natures, divine nature, human nature, yet without sin. And that we see his context for ministry. In verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. I've been telling you many years now, my friends, you want to see what faith looks like? It looks an awful lot like obedience. Hearing the word of God and responding in faith, which means acting on it. The ob- hmm. <laughs> I heard that voice too. Is that John's phone? (laughs) So his context for ministry is first uh, the church. Well, really, he says uh, the whole world, really. Look at this, verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. The church. What is the church? The church is organized bodies of believers. My friends, people have put their faith in Jesus Christ. The church. It's all over this world, my friends. The church, but also Rome. Look at verse 7. To all of those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints... See that word called over and over again. Called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he makes intercession for this church. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all of the world. How about that church in Rome? They are living it out. I'll tell you what. Blessed be the church who is commended for their faith. Who operate in that realm. Not as an exception, but as a rule. Hmm. And so their faith is proclaimed in all of the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing. Paul says, I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So Paul's desire is to go and see this stuff in practice and have some ministry there. As a matter of fact, that's what he says here in verse 11, talking about his interest in the church. For I long to see you that, that word means purpose, think that. Why? For this reason, that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. So his interest in the church is to go there to strengthen them, but also to encourage them, verse 12. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. And also, finally, as we would anticipate from Paul, 
to win a few people to faith in Christ. He says here at the end of verse 13, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. See, he was the apostle to the Gentiles. Yeah. And so, my friends, we saw his call to ministry. The content of Paul's ministry is Jesus. The context, the whole planet. (laughs) And his confidence. His confidence. What makes you confident? What is it about you that you're going to exert some confidence? Where do you go? What is the well that you draw from for confidence? Well, we know what Paul's was. Look at verse 15. He says, so, as a result of all of these things, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. He tells us why. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, and here it comes, friends, get that highlighter out, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. That's an interesting expression, from faith for faith. And what that expression simply means is entirely of faith. Faith from the beginning to the very end of it. Hmm. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's a significant uh, six words there, my friends. So much so, it becomes the key verse for the whole letter. I tell you, you want to hide a verse from our study here in your heart? That's a good one to hide in your heart. You want to check yourself on how you're living? Check yourself with this. The righteous live by faith. Live by faith. Paul announces this theme, the righteousness of God, right here in verse 17. And the word righteousness is used one way or another over 60 different times in this letter. It's righteous, just, and justified. God's righteousness is revealed through the gospel. Now, at this point, we might not know a lot about righteousness, but my friends, as we study this word, we're going to learn a ton We're going to have a clear definition in our mind what that means and how to get it. So righteousness revealed in the gospel. For in the death of Christ, God revealed his righteousness by punishing sin. See, God is righteous. And he punishes sin. He doesn't overlook it and say, "Eh, it's not that big a deal. You know, we'll just let it go. Hey, maybe they'll grow out of it. (laughs) Well, that hasn't worked, has it? Yeah. And so he is righteousness in punishing sin. But he also revealed his righteousness by making salvation available to the believing sinner. Righteous. Right standing with God. You know, the problem is, And really, as you think about this, how can a holy God forgive sinners? 
I mean, how can a holy God ever forgive sinners and still be holy? Well, the answer is in the gospel. Through the death and resurrection of Christ, God is seen to, both ju- to be both just and justifier. See, he didn't let anybody slide. See, what he did is he sent his son to die in our place. At great cost. We're going we're gonna to investigate the depths of such things here, my friends. We're going to investigate the depths of this in our study in the book of Romans. So the gospel reveals a righteousness that is by faith. And here Paul is referring to, this is a reference to Habakkuk 2.4. Habakkuk, which is, by the way, a great password for your computer. Because you don't know how to spell it otherwise. (laughs) Yeah, Habakkuk, I think, is the correct pronunciation. And it says simply this, the just shall live by faith, and boom, there it is again. The just shall live by faith. This verse is quoted three times in the New Testament, three different times in the New Testament. Romans 1.17 that we just read, Galatians 3.11 and Hebrews 10.38. Book of Romans explains who the just are. The book of Galatians explains how they shall live. And the book of Hebrews explains what it means to live by faith. What is faith? And there are more than 60 references to faith or unbelief in the book of Romans. This is the theology book of the New Testament. You want to understand your salvation, study the book of Romans. And what you will find first and foremost here is by the time you get to verse 18, Paul lays out the foundation. My friends, if you are going to explain the gospel to someone, the place where you begin is this. You are a sinner. But then again, someone else, everyone else is too. Ha, 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 ha. It's no joke, my friends, because here in verse 18 we read, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And here Paul begins to list the indictments against every last one of us. And he lays out this truth that God is angry at sinners. Now, people don't like to think about this. They like to think of, you know, their God as, well, he's nice and he's polite and he does nice things for us. And that way we can all feel safe. But my friends, you and I need to come face to face and toe to toe with this truth. God is angry. At sinners. The wrath of God is revealed against it. We're talking about wrath here, not mildly put off. You know, the Lord is not in heaven thinking, you know, I really don't like the way they do that. And how do we know more about this wrath as we study a little bit about his hell? That God created hell for the devil and his angels, and it is the ultimate eternity of all those 
who do not put their trust in Jesus Christ. I'm talking about hell here, my friends. We're not talking about fantasies. We're not talking about illustrations. We're talking about destinies. God is angry at sinners. And indictment number one is this. People suppress the truth. Again, at the end of verse 18, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They know it. They push it away. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. They suppress the truth. Look at verse 19. Why is it inexcusable to be ignorant of God? Because here in verse 19, we read, For what can be known about God is plain to them. It's plain to everyone. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. No excuses, my friends. Nobody says, I didn't know. Because the greatest evangelism packet ever made is all of creation. We watch the beauty of the snow gently falling. Well, don't get fixated on that, but all of creation declares the glory of God. Remember when you were a little kid laying in your bed at night during a thunderstorm? And you would shudder every time it seemed the whole planet was coming apart. You remember those days? Eternal power of God. You think of all of these things that God has created. You ever been out on the ocean and it got a little windy? Yeah, little windy. Power. Enormous power. Nuclear power. You know how big that stuff is? Splitting cells, my friends. Enormous power. All of creation cries out the glory of God. Who he is and what he is like. He is good, but he is not to be trifled with. We've read too many stories, heard too many news reports of kids just out playing, not too far off the shore, and suddenly they're gone. Power. You don't suppress the truth, my friends. You know why you don't do that? You know who suppresses truth? Fools. The Greek word for fool is moiron. Sounds a lot like moron, doesn't it? It's where we get it. A fool is someone who knows the truth and ignores it. Suppressing the truth. Indictment number one. Indictment number two is perverting the truth. Look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile. The word means useless in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
You see, when you reject light, you get less light. When you close your eyes, you can't see. And there is this pushing away of truth. I don't want to live with that. I don't want to think about that. That's going to change my plans. That's going to change. No. The light is too bright. Suppressing the truth and then perverting the truth. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Hmm. Perverting the truth. Insolent. Boldly rude and disrespectful. Contemptuously impertinent and insulting. Claiming to be wise, verse 22, they became fools. Morino. Yeah. They became a fool. Claiming to be wise. Oh, no. I don't want to... Your little pretend playmate in the sky. I'm too smart for that. And they begin to live out their life, foraging their way to hell, my friends, perverting the truth. And do you know what that looks like? Look at verse 23 exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images. Resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. It is some of the most astounding thing that the nation of Israel, who knew Yahweh, they knew God. They saw his great power in parting the Red Sea of delivering them from the nation of Egypt and conquering all of these great peoples and taking their cities because God gave them to. And then you know what they did? They said, let's just make an idol and worship that. Can you imagine the, the, the foolishness of such a thing? And that's one of the reasons the... Uh, the nation of Israel split in two and ultimately went into captivity. It's idolatry. They just couldn't beat idolatry. Well, you know what cured them of it? Seventy years in exile. That's what cured them of it. Why they're so very cautious even today. I'll tell you what, if they believed in Jesus, they'd never have a TV show about him. It's idolatry. I talked to kids before, you know, teaching uh, uh, early on in ministry, and I would come across kids who would say, what do you mean we don't know what Jesus looks like? I've got a card with it. I've got a picture with his face on it. It's idolatry, my friends. Beware. You're training your mind to believe something that isn't true. You know what he looks like. He's kind of that thin, palish dude with a weird-looking hair falling down his face, you know? Yeah, I wonder who created that. And the whole world bought it. Yeah, that's Jesus, the olive skin dude. Yeah. We fall for it. Beware, my friends. Beware. For all they, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks, but they became futile in their thinking, in their foolish hearts, were darkened and claiming to be wise, they became fools. 
and in their foolish thoughts, they exchange the glory of the immortal God, the greatness of God. I mean, the nation of Israel saw the glory of God inhabit the temple, and they also watched it depart. Ichabod, kavod is the word glory. Ichabod means no glory, no more. Because of their sin, astounding, astounding, astounding. So they became fools and made their own gods, shaped like men and birds and animals and creeping things, and they bowed down to these things and served them. Astounding. Indictment number one was suppressing the truth. Indictment number two, perverting the truth. Taking one thing, making it something else. And indictment number three, the perversion of life, which is always how it goes. Suppress the truth. Create your own God. And watch your life swirl down the drain. Verse 24, therefore... As a result of these two sins, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Hmm. The Holy Spirit is referred to as a restrainer. The Spirit of God is not only working in the lives of believers to restrain sin, but also in this world. So as wicked as man has been throughout the history of this planet, it has not been as wicked and evil and monstrous as it could be because the Spirit of God is a restrainer of sin. But we see here in verse 24, God gave them up. Oh, you want to live that way? You think that's the best way? Well, let's see how that works out for you. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, first, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relationships with women and were consumed with passions for one another. He's talking about homosexuality. It is the act of blindness, my friends, darkness. And men likewise gave up natural relationships with women, were concerned with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Y'all been around at least as long as I have. Remember that whole AIDS thing in the 70s and then the 80s and all of these diseases that have become part of, came out of these wicked relationships. 
And so God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And he gave them up to a debased mind. Look at this. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil and covetousness, malice. They are full of envy and murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips and slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. You want to wreck your life, my friends? Push God away. You want to see devastation, turned up toil and anxieties and fear? Push God away. Tell him you don't need him. You figure it out on your own. It is a sad, sad thing to watch somebody do this. You've seen it happen yourself, no doubt. And you wish there was some way to help, but you know they will never be right until they are right with God. Don't push God away, my friends. We all stand guilty before God, my friends, and we desperately need his grace. So how do we live well? How do we live right? I would suggest that we consider daily what kind of an account your life is building. What kind of an account your life is building? We'll see in the next chapter. People are just building up a building up an account for the wrath of God. What are you investing in, my friends? What kind of carelessness have you allowed into your life? Consider daily what kind of life that you are building because, my friends, what you sow, you will reap. Don't be deceived. No one goes to heaven because they went to church. There is this idea that, well, I go to church every... Oh, well, well, I'm sure the Lord is very impressed. Friends, it is only by the grace of God that anyone should be saved. Not because anyone deserves it. Not because anyone was good enough. It's the idea of God's mercy giving to us something we don't deserve and not giving us something we do deserve. Hear me when I say this. You've heard it before and you'll hear it again. Going to church don't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a French fry. It's what you do with it. What do you do with what you hear and what you learn? That's all that matters. It's all that matters. And the proof of your salvation, my friends, is your obedience to God. 
say, wait a minute. Well, no, actually, uh, I think, isn't it Jesus that said it was the way you have love for your... Wait a minute, isn't that obedience to God? <laughs> isn't the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself? Well, let's see, if I love my neighbor, I won't take his stuff. I won't harm him in any way. Yeah. Go ahead, write down the list. I won't lie to him. I won't lie about him. Yeah. Live it well. Because there is great wrath. Hear me when I say this. You know people who will spend an eternity in hell. Let someone communicate the gospel to them and the spirit of God can evict their heart and they turn to Christ. Hell. Not the cartoon stuff, my friends. Eternal torment. No breaks, no weekends. Lest they turn to Christ. Just like you did, right? When you cried out to him because you've, you finally recognized your great need. And you put your trust in him. Trust him, my friends. Somebody just yawn. I swear someone went, <laughs> Take this to heart, my friends. Know this as a truth. We come into this world sinners and we get good at it. And the wages of sin is death. We all stand guilty before God. We need his grace. And friends, if you have been sitting in this room week after week after week and you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, do it today. Cry out to him. Plead for his grace. He is a good God and a God that is full of grace. He will save you. Don't fake your way into hell, my friends.